All right, so the holidays are over. Now you're back to routine, right? So uh, back to school, back to work, back to whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, we're going to get back to Romans. And so we were looking at Romans, the whole book, and we got to about chapter 2, halfway through chapter 2. And now we're going to pick it up uh, again today. It'll take us a while to get through the book of Romans. It's so dense and deep, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. And so we're going to take our time. Nobody's in a hurry. We're in the right lane. All right? We're not in the left. We're not passing. We're in, the, we're in the right lane. If you don't know this, you only pass in the left lane. So we're in the right lane. We're in the right lane. We've got our blinker on. I mean, we're doing everything right. We're going to take our time. So just a real quick review of the first couple of chapters of Romans. Paul is the guy who writes this letter. Paul is a great follower of Jesus. Um, he had never been to Rome but he writes this letter, and it's really long for that era. It's just a really long letter. It's kind of an introduction. He's saying, that's who I am. But he's also saying, this is what we believe as followers of Jesus. And so he's kind of laying it all out. And he does it a little bit like a legal argument. It's kind of a brilliant way to do things. And so he begins by introducing himself and then he says, the overarching thing of what he says in the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is, everybody needs Jesus. And so he starts with low-hanging fruit. The rebellious people need Jesus. And he talks about them, and this is what they do, and this is their actions. These are their actions, and this is how they live. And we read that, and we go, yeah, those people need, they need to be saved. They need Jesus. And then he sort of dials it up a little bit, kind of climbs a tree, and he says, okay, it's not just rebellious people, it's also respectable people, good people, folks who do uh, the right thing. They drive in the right lane unless they're passing. They do the right stuff. They're, they're, they use their blinkers, they're nice people. He doesn't actually say use their blinkers, but you get the idea. All right. Then today he's going to talk about, it's not just the rebellious people who need Jesus. We kind of all see that. And it's not just the respectable people who need Jesus. It's also the religious people who need Jesus. And he uses the Jews as an example. Now, he's not anti-Semitic. He is a Jew. And so as a Jew, like I'm from Kentucky, and I can make fun of Kentucky, whereas you shouldn't, because <laughs> look at yourselves. Uh, so... <laughs> That just came to me, and that was from Jesus. Um, do you know why it's hard to solve uh, murder mysteries in, in Kentucky? Uh, no dental records, and all the DNA is the same. See, I can do that. <laughs> I can say that. All right. So every religion, every kind of uh, group, they sort of have symbols to identify themselves. So I heard about a private school teacher, and she had a really diverse class of, of kids, and they were talking about going to church and that kind of thing, or synagogue. Or, and, and so she had an assignment. And she said, okay, the assignment is this. Bring something that symbolizes your belief or your, your church. And if you, if you have one, you bring something. So one little girl, she brought in a crucifix. So let's play a game. If, you, if the little girl brought in a crucifix, what is she? Catholic, that's right. Uh, they had a little boy, and he brought in a menorah. That's the seven-armed uh, candlestick uh, used around Hanukkah. So if the little boy brings in a menorah, what is he? Right. And, and there was a little boy, and he brought in a flag, and it had Arabic writing and a, and a crescent moon. So what was he probably? Probably Islam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and there was a, 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 a boy from the Far East, and he brought in a symbol of the yin and the yang. You know, it looks like a little water drop with a dot in the middle, and one's dark, one's light. And he, he's probably yeah, Buddhism, Confucianism, something like that. And then one little girl, she brought in a bucket of chicken and a casserole dish. She was Baptist. Uh, so <laughs> we all have ways, all right? So Paul talks about today this notion of the, the Jews. And again, you can substitute Judaism. Like for us, he's kind of not preaching to us. So we're going to substitute a little bit, at least mentally, He's talking about religious people, and that could be any of us, any religion, any people who uh, attend church and that sort of thing. He's kind of going to do that just a little bit. And so he, he says, okay, well, here are some marks of dead religion, and here are some marks of being a true follower of Christ. And in the, Jew, in the Roman church, there were kind of two groups of people. There were Jews who became Christians, and there were Gentiles, not Jews, who became Christians. And the Jews who became Christians had a superiority complex. They kind of thought themselves better than everyone else. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I think most adults have experienced this, where you're in a room and you just feel that they think they're better than you. It might not be true, but you still feel it. So, Paul has he's already addressed rebellious people, and he's already addressed respectable people. And today he's going to address religious people. And so he jumps in and he says, okay, well, here are some, some marks of a person who has an empty religion. The first one is their prideful, pridefulness. You who call yourselves Jews, and again, you substitute mentally you who call yourselves Christian, you could do that. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with Him. Uh, in Kentucky, we'd call them, they, they, they's highfalutin. They, they think they're better than everyone else, and that's what he's talking about. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and maybe this is you, because it's been me. I've gone to church because I want people to see me at church. Now, there was an era, like when I was younger, that was the big thing. And it wasn't just the church you attended, you had to attend the right church. And if you were in this organization, you attended that church. And if you were this organization, you attend that church. And that's the kind of stuff he's talking about. Like, uh, when, when you drive out of the cul-de-sac, are you looking around to see if any of your neighbors are noticing? They're not, because they're sleeping and they're sinners. Uh, so they don't know that you left. I mean, they don't know. But that's what we think. I hope somebody sees me going to church. And then he says this, You know what God wants. You know what is right, because you've been taught God's law. You're convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for the people who are lost in darkness. And those words are very haughty. And Paul is so amazingly strategic in how he writes. You remember how Paul got saved? He's Jewish. He's like, he's like super Jew, man. I mean, he is like a Jew of a Jew. He, he, he obeys all the law, and he never makes a mistake. And, and he is he's very arrogant in his obedience to God. He is... He is super Jew. And he's so much of a Jew, he thinks that Christianity is a bastardization of Judaism, and so he wants to wipe out the Christians. 
So he's on a mission. He gets an order from uh, the, 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 the priests, and, and he's on a mission to go down to a town called Damascus, and there he's going to annihilate, if he can, he's going to arrest and imprison Christians. And on the road, he has an experience and a bright light, knocks him down, and he has a conversation with Jesus. And, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, dude, who are you? That's a rough translation. I don't even know who you are. And, and, and Jesus says, I, I'm Jesus. Stop it. And then this happens. Saul got up from the ground. Saul and Paul, same guy, he just sort of switches names. Saul and Paul, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. He could see nothing so they led him by the hand into Damascus. Look what he says. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people. And there's a certain pridefulness. You see it on social media. There are people who think they're better than you. Better Christians than you. There's a pridefulness to it. And then he says, okay, you're also hypocritical. This mark of a, an empty religion person is you're, you're a hypocrite. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourselves? You tell others not to steal, but you steal. You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but you commit adultery. Uh, you condemn idolatry, but do you rob pagan temples? The most observant Jews in Jesus' time were called Pharisees. They were the cream of the crop. Paul was a Pharisee. So he knows all about these guys. And there are certain laws. The Old Testament is full of law. The first five books of the Bible, a lot of law there. 600 and something laws. Lots of law. There are lots of ways to obey and that kind of thing. And so the Jews studied the law. They knew the law. But they found loopholes. So probably everybody in the room, when you hear somebody like is really, really rich, but they, they, uh, they don't pay a lot of taxes because of, of tax loopholes, and, and it makes us all angry. It's like, well, how do they get away with that? You know, it doesn't, make, doesn't seem right. We, we, got kinda, we get kind of crazy about it. Well, the Pharisees found some, some workarounds, some loopholes to get out of doing what God's law specifically said to do. So one of the God's laws is uh, when, you, uh, when your parents get older and they can't care for themselves, you as good sons and daughters are to take care of your parents. This is in the law. Well, they found a workaround. And they said, Jesus confronts them on this, like, y'all, you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it. And they said, well, the, loop, the loophole is this. We're, the money we're supposed to be uh, using to help our parents or our parent, uh, we're, we're holding that back to use it for God later. And that was a loophole. In, in Matthew 19, there's a conversation around divorce. And the Pharisees confront Jesus and they say, is it okay to, to, to be divorced? And, and Jesus says this, haven't you read? It's in the law. Haven't you read? that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. This is the only union that God endorses. It's like this is, this is it. And they were like, well, yeah, 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 but, but Moses, there's a loophole. Moses said we could write a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts are hard. 
but it's not the way from the beginning. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, you got a loophole, but you shouldn't have a loophole. And, and then he said that thing about um, stealing. You're going to steal from pagan temples. You condemn idolatry, but do you steal from pagan temples? Now, he's not talking about literally like putting on a black mask and you know, wearing all dark and, and sneaking in at night and taking the idols out of there. It's not exactly what he's talking about. He's just saying, look, we, <laughs> there were business people in the time who were basically fencing stolen goods. And he's saying, you, you all are no better than anybody else. You're telling people not to steal, but you're fencing stolen items. He's saying, you all are hypocrites. And the word hypocrite comes from uh, like the Greek language, hypocrisis. Um, Hupo means under, and chrisis means uh, to speak, to speak from under. And so in ancient times, when they were putting on a, a, a drama or a play, they would be on a stage like this, and, and there would be like two actors, and, and they would hold up a mask. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm this character, and then I'll go off stage and I'll get another mask, and I come out and I'm another character because I'm holding a different mask. And even in today, when we see like the Oscars and those kind of things, they have symbols like this, which represents drama, it represents, really, it represents hypocrisy. You wear a mask, and some of you and some of me, <laughs> including me, when I was in high school, I wore a mask. I had a, I had a church mask. I had a good boy church mask. I wore it most Sundays. Go to church, wear my mask. Wednesday night, wear my mask. Monday, no mask. I was a hellion. I was kind of wild, did what I wanted to do. Tuesday, as long as mom and daddy didn't find out, I did what I wanted to do. Wednesday, same thing. Until church, then I put my mask on. And Paul is saying, look, you, you guys are acting like your believers, but you're not doing like your believers. James says, do not merely listen to the Word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just act like you're, like you're somebody. If you have a way of living Saturday night that doesn't line up with Sunday morning, it, it's hypocrisy if you do one thing sometimes and something else the other time. And so then he says this, you're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the Scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Some people aren't Christians because of Christians. Gandhi one time said, I would be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians, because I like Christ. I just don't like Christians. And this is what he's talking about. There's a third mark of kind of false religion or, or empty religion. And that's ritual. Now, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And when the Jews read this, their minds would have been blown. Because for hundreds of years, they were taught that circumcision is the thing that makes you special Circumcision is the thing that marks you as a follower of God. Gentiles, no circumcision, not following God. So if you were to say to a Jew back then, are you a follower of God? He's like, yeah, I'm circumcised. 
I mean, that was, that was it. They believed that was the thing. And so, like in Christianity, when, when you're saved, you get baptized. That's kind of one of the first steps. It's a really important step. But baptism doesn't save you. Or you can wear a wedding ring and not be committed. It's a sign, but, but it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like you can't cheat. I've always, I want to invent this. I want to invent a wedding ring that's a mood ring. And it shows the color of how your spouse feels about how you're treating them. So if your mood ring is red, you don't go outside or you wear gloves. Because uh, that means your spouse is ticked off at you. If it's yellow, you're still in the game, but you're not doing so great. But if it's green, if it's green, you walk around like this. You know, you want everybody to know. See, I wear a wet wedding ring, and it's good, but it doesn't really say anything about my relationship with my wife. Just that I have one doesn't say what level it's at. And, and so circumcision, well... Something that you really, it was eight, typically eight day old little boys didn't even know it happened. Now, adult men, that's really a commitment. Uh, but uh, uh, little boys, it, it, it was part of who they were, it, it was kind of who they identified as. But for Jews, it's like it, that was it. In fact, the teaching was if you're circumcised, you, you can't go to hell. There's a guy named Rabbi uh, Joel Rabin, and he said, Circumcision saves us from hell. It's a quote. There was um, there's something called the Midrash. It is a collection of sort of commentaries on the Old Testament. And throughout the centuries, the Jewish rabbis would sort of discuss theology, and, and so they would write these things down, and it's called the Midrash. And in the Midrash, it says that Abraham sits at the gates of hell and he will never allow any circumcised Israelite to enter. For the Jewish, in the Jewish mind, circumcision was your get out of hell free card. And it didn't matter what you did, this was the thing that kept you from going to hell. Now, rituals are awesome, and they're worthy, and they're meaningful. They, they just don't save you. Now, for the Jew, it was circumcision. For us, there are other rituals. Let me talk about them. And again, let me preface this by saying, I've done most, if not all of these, and I would advise all of us to do these things. But let's not put our faith in the ritual. Baptism. Baptism is awesome. Baptism is great. Uh, it, it is one of the things that uh, I think once you become a follower of Jesus and, and you get a little maturity to you, you should be baptized. It's awesome. But if someone says to you, are you a Christian? And you immediately say, yeah, I'm baptized. It's not the same thing. It's a great thing. Baptism is a great thing. But it's not the same thing. And so Paul's like, okay, well, well that's good. <laughs> that didn't save you. Another one, church membership. Oh, people love church membership. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song called When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Anybody know that song? Two of you? Liars? Uh, so here are the words to When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. We liked it because we could say yonder the way God intends. When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. When the Roll is Called Up 
Yonder. We had flair. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. Um, I have some CDs in the back uh, after we're done. And there are people who are thinking, oh, the role, like the church role. It's not the role that we're talking about. It's not the church role. God doesn't say, well, look like you're a member of Freedom Fellowship. I mean, that's not the role. But people get confused about that. Some people think it's legacy. Like, <laughs> as a pastor, I'll talk to people and they'll say, yeah, man, my daddy was a deacon. Who's a deacon? Like, that's good. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, how does that affect you? Uh, my mama taught Sunday school for 65 years. It's great. My grandfather built churches in Africa. Super. Those are great things. All those things are good. But you don't get into heaven on legacy. Um, Elise has been my, my, 18, my 17-year-old daughter. <laughs> I don't, uh, my kid. Uh, she... I don't, I don't even know how old. I think she's 17. Does anybody know? Uh, she's 17. Um, she's looking at college and that kind of thing, and, and you apply. Well, do you know there are some universities, you don't get in on your academic acumen. You actually get in because your parents went there. You're a legacy, and you can get in. That's kind of how it works. But our pedigree isn't what saves us. It's... It is a, a blessing for me to have had a mom and dad who were Christians. My daddy was a deacon. My mama was a Sunday school teacher. I, I had people who brought me to church and, and taught me the right things. I am thankful for that. But if I don't make a commitment on my own for myself, that is not enough. And you've probably heard it said like this. I heard somebody say it many years ago. Being born into a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian, just like being born in a garage doesn't make you a car. It just doesn't. So, it's not that. It's also not a denomination. There are Methodists and Catholics and Baptists and all that. I heard about an uh, old pastor up in East Tennessee, kind of a, a little backward church, and uh, no offense to East Tennesseans, but it was a little church in the back, and he was very proud of being Baptist. So he's preaching one Sunday, and he said... Everybody in the room who's Baptist, say amen. And everybody said amen. Except one, one youth. The kid didn't say anything. The pastor noticed. He said, hey boy, what are you? The boy said, I'm Methodist. Methodist? He said, why are you Methodist? Well, my mom and daddy are Methodist. So the preacher now is thinking, I'm going I'm to catch him in his flawed logic. The boy said, boy... If your mom and daddy was morons, what would that make you? That boy said, a Baptist, I guess. <laughs> so it's not so much your denomination. It's cool to be a part. I'm a part of Southern Baptist. We're Southern Baptist. I like Southern Baptists. We plant churches and we send missionaries and we do great things. Doesn't save you. Good works, activity. I've heard people say, 
I'm a Christian because, you know, I've, I've been in 19 consecutive small groups, or I, I uh, run the sound on Sunday morning and I never make a mistake, or I work at the soup kitchen, or I tithe, or I help my neighbor mow his yard or her yard or whatever. And these are great things. Every one of those things is really, really good. But being busy doesn't make you a Christian. And, and so too many times we're putting our faith in something that we don't need to put our faith in. I'm putting my faith in my good works, or I'm putting my faith in my, my heritage, or I'm putting faith in my baptism. Those are all things that are good. But they're not enough. They're good. It's not enough. So Paul says, okay, let me tell you what is enough. A changed heart. A person is not a Jew who is only one, one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. This is a guy, look at his picture. His name is Dr. Christian Bernard. He was the first guy to ever do a heart transplant. He, his first one was in December of 1967. About the third or fourth heart transplant he did, the patient whose heart he had transplanted, who you know, had put a new heart in, he came into the room to check on him, and the guy who's received a new heart said, would it be possible, Dr. Bernard, for me to see my old heart? Well, it just so happened that Dr. Bernard had put it in a kind of a dish, had put it in a, a, a jar and, with formaldehyde, and, and he brought it to him. This guy was the first guy to ever hold his old heart. And he looked at his heart in this jar and he said to it, so you're the thing that's been causing me so much trouble. And then he handed it to Dr. Bernard who put it back on the shelf. Never to look at it again. There's this amazing text in Ezekiel. And God says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When you ask a Jewish man, are you Jewish? He would say, yes, I'm circumcised. When you ask a Christian, are you a Christian? When you ask a person, are you a Christian? The answer is, yeah, I got a new heart. Jesus has come into my heart. There's a second thing. Not only do you get a new heart, but you get to be guided by the Spirit. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the written code. And often it feels like this inner voice. God speaking to you this inner voice. And if you've ever experienced it, you'll know it. Okay, so I was at a basketball game um, a couple of weeks ago. Elise is playing and she she plays for her team, her school team. And we were at this small gym, and they didn't have bleachers, you know, that kind of go up. It was like rows of seats. So I think I was in the second row, and, and we, I was kind of on the end of this court, and the court went that way. And so there's a lot of action that goes on down there. I'm in the second row, and there's a bunch of seats over here. I sat right here, sitting by my, my buddy Bobby Henderson. Some of y'all know. Me and Bobby, both preachers, I'm sitting there. Watching the ball game, the action goes from here, which I could see down there. And this lady decides that she is going to contact her friend down there. So she stands literally 
in front of me. I'm right there, oblivious to anybody behind her. She says, Brenda, Brenda, Brenda. I don't know who Brenda was, but Brenda wasn't paying attention. All right. I paid my money like everybody else. I should be able to see the ballgame. So, I'm a preacher. Spirit of the Lord is moving in me. So, as politely as I know how, I said, excuse me, I can't see. Now, is there anything wrong with excuse me, I can't see? Seems nice, don't you think? I think that's about as nice as I could be. All right, this gal who wants Brenda. Now, if that was you, and a really nice guy like me says to you, excuse me, I can't see, a normal response from a regular human being would be, I am so sorry, uh, let me move. Not this gal. She looks at me, and I quote, Okay. Okay. No, it's not okay. You're in my way. She eventually moved. Elise's ball game is over. Next ball game happens. Guess what? Her son is playing in the next game. Mmm. She sits right there. Mmm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, thank you. Uh, because in my heart, I'm a teacher. Uh, and I want to teach. I want to help people learn. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh, man. And my buddy Bobby Henderson, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I haven't said a word. Bobby Henderson, also a preacher, looks at me and he says, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it, but, <laughs> but I sure thought about it. <laughs> I think he was thinking about doing it. It's like maybe he wanted it first. Anyway, when the Spirit can speak to you, even through friends like Bobby Henderson, uh, we, we get the message, and so the Spirit can guide us. A third thing is this. Uh, the mark of a true follower is a desire to please God. Such a person's praise is not from men, but from God. And let's just be honest, we like to be affirmed by people. I love it. I love to be affirmed by people. It is probably a flaw. I was at Lowe's the other day, and I don't have a pickup truck. I have a, a Subaru with a hatchback, and I needed some, some lumber. And if, if it's eight foot long, I can kind of get it in. But if it's longer than that, I've got a roof rack, and I put my... Uh, boards on the top, and I kind of tie them down, tie down, strap them down. It's as redneck as it can be. I pull my hat down, I pull my collar up. I don't want anybody to know I'm there because I'm like, this is so redneck. This is horrible. And I'm about to take off, and this old boy comes out of the catalogs. <laughs> and he looks at my car, kind of studies it. He looks at me, looks at my car, he looks at me, and then he said, that's how you do it right there. <laughs> and it was how you do it right there. How you do it right there. 
Paul says such a person's praise, the root word of praise and the root word for Jew is the same word. And so it's really, it's kind of a pun. He's saying such a person's Jewishness is not from men, but from God. He is saying people who truly follow are the real people of God. And and so the question then is, who are you trying to please? Because in this world, you, you either try to please others, yourself, or God. I think those are the only three options. If you try to please others, I mean, you might be successful. can't please everybody. You might please somebody. Try to please yourself. You can probably be successful at that, but it's kind of hollow. It's empty. You, you read about this all the time where people, they do everything they want to do. They have a lot of money, and they still not feel, they don't feel satisfied. Or you can spend your life trying to please God. See, the marks of a true believer are, I have a changed heart. I listen to the Spirit. I follow what God wants me to do. Tim Keller was a, a great pastor. He passed away this past year. A great pastor, great theologian. And he wrote, it's possible to trust in Christianity rather than Christ. It's possible to trust in all the trappings of religion, the rituals or the, the things of, of, of church. But that's not the question. Are, are you doing the stuff isn't the question. The question is, who are you trying to please? Because when you answer that question, that is the question that matters more than anything else. So Paul is saying to his Jewish friends, and again, he's writing to a Jew as a Jew. We're not close to God because of our heritage, our lineage. We're close to God because Jesus provides a path for us to be close to God. And the good news is it's not just for Jews. It's for anybody that wants to have a path to God. Anyone, everyone, all of us. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I want you to come into my heart, guide my life, and I want to do what you say. This is Christianity in a, a little package. It's all it takes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you've given to us. Help us to understand completely what you called us to do, who you called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.